Well, hey, and welcome to episode 24 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, in today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss our response to suffering, what life will look like after our glorification, and what it means to carry one another's burden. As always, if you haven't yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do encourage you to go back and do so, as it's going to help this conversation make a lot more sense. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Hey guys, good morning. Hello. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Happy Monday. A little bit of snow on the ground this morning. Again. Again and again, it seems like. We were just talking about how this is. This seems to be really weird weather. I've been here 10 years, and I can't remember the last time we've gotten like small increments of snow like this over the course of three or four weeks multiple times. Here's the problem, though. Um, we've hired, I don't know, what three staff members over the last year and a half, and I feel like like 15 times I've had to tell them, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. The wind isn't normal. The wind in the fall is not normal. The snow that just keeps lingering around, that's not normal. It's like there's a lot of not normal that's happening. Man, these two-hour delays, they're they're killing us. I'm tired of them. (laughs) I can't remember the last time we had multiple two-hour delays in the school. That's the weird thing. I bet we've had, what, eight so far this year? Uh, It's maybe been, yes, maybe six, but. Ours, like, (laughs) the default in where we grew up was a one-hour. Like you get a one hour delay. That was kind of the default. Here it's yeah. like two is the the standard. Well, was it sure. flat where you grew up? I mean, mostly. No, no. there's some hills out in the hills, okay. out in the. But it's not it's not as bad as it is here. It's not the altitude issue. Is yeah, I I I agree. But it's yeah. like, can we not just start at one and then just see how one does? Maybe we go to two. <laughs> but like our default is like two hours. Just two. I my poor son. I was like, man. What do you keep missing at school? That's what I asked. Yeah. Him. He was like, specials. I was like, what is that? He's like, PE. Yeah, so yeah. my son is like crushed. My oldest <laughs> like, yeah, we've missed PE like three times in the yeah. last two weeks. Yeah. He is not happy about missing PE. So, yeah, bummer. Well, I read this question this morning and I thought it might be fun to, to talk about um, as a, a little bit of a, a get us going thing. Uh, if you had to teach a class on one thing, what do you think you would teach? Like you could choose anything. It's not like a, it doesn't have to be academic. You could choose whatever. If you had to teach a class on how to do one thing or, or learn one thing, what would it be? Um, I, the only, I don't know anything. The only thing I got is the Bible. I can teach the Bible and that's it. I don't know. I have no other skills. Uh, yes, you do. I mean, what? you do all that wood the history stuff at your house. Uh, the history of Kentucky basketball. <laughs> hmm. What are we? No, I, you could teach like a, like a shop class. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe. But I'm not that good. There's a lot of guys who do it a lot better than I do. We've got some in our church who are like amazing woodworking, fine furniture guys. But the so basics, I could do. Could you basics. teach a group of, you know, sophomore, sophomore in high school? Yeah, hey, here's the basics. Probably. Teach you these, or yeah. even just handyman stuff. There you hey, go. Hey, here's ten things that you're gonna do at your house. I yeah. could do that over the there course of. 
Look at Josh coming through. He's so positive. Yeah. When I read the question, I instantly thought of like, where do I go to learn things? And it's always YouTube. Anytime I've got a new project in the house, I just go to YouTube. And I've got this, there's a guy on YouTube, I'm sure, that's done it, showing me how to do it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. So I went to like, if I had to create a three or four part series on my YouTube channel that I don't have, what would it be? So that was kind of the way that I posed the question. Josh, what do you think yours would be? Yeah, I would teach like basic. Uh, I took a class in high school and it was the best. Um, so math class, but not like algebra, geometry, all that stuff that everybody hates. But like, hey, uh, math you're going to use in real life. Balancing your checkbook. Balancing your checkbook. People don't do it anymore. No. But, <laughs> but that was the, I was being funny because you're a millennial. When Have you ever balanced a checkbook? I, I did in the beginning. Now the online banking has changed that. Right. Yeah, you don't have to really keep up with that. I'm anymore. not sure I even have a checkbook. <laughs> we do. We pay <laughs> yeah, no. a couple checks. But, um, uh, but yeah, like when you buy a car and it's 3.9% interest rate, what does that mean for you? Like, what are you really going to be paying when you buy a house and the interest rate is X amount over 30 years? What does that mean? Hey, how do you plan for um, savings? How do you build that? Like, just basic, when you go to the grocery store and it says X amount on sale, can you do that math in your head? Or, like, do you just trust that little machine when you give them the money to give you your change back correctly? Because I just... So I'm one of those people, I'll just throw like a nickel in there randomly if I have cash. And they're like, to watch those little 16-year-old faces. Go, I don't know what to do with that nickel. <laughs> oh, what so what does that nickel do? You so know? Okay, so I it's do simple, have a story like, about money that. money, yeah. yeah. I do have a story about that. I gave, yeah, I did that the other day. I It was like, I don't know. It was like uh, 9.05 or whatever. And I gave them. I can't remember. It was like 902 or whatever. And I gave him like enough to get not a bunch of pennies back. Mm-hmm. And she tried to give me my change back. Oh, it was, it was only nine. You gave me a 10. I don't need this change. And I'm like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want the pennies. So give me, give me a bigger quarter that, or whatever it was. I yeah, want something, right. right? I don't want a bunch of your pennies. So yeah, yeah that she was very confused. But even like just practical you know, how do you set up your budgeting? You know, those are skills like that. We just don't teach anymore. Right. And again, I went to my grandma. I was like, how do you do this? And she goes, okay. So you put away 10% for the Lord. You put away 10% for yourself and then you pay your bills. And then you got leftover, you got emergency. I, she just did the thing in her little envelopes and it worked. It was perfect. Yeah. I thought, well, she seems to always have money when you ask, I would like to be that one day when I grow up. So let me ask her. And it, yeah, like it's nothing that's like, I mean, Ramsey, we all know he stole it from all of our grandmas. But, <laughs> um, but again, it's, they don't even talk about this in class. And I'm, most kids are not using calculus right. when they get into marriage. So how do we actually give people real skills? So I would love to teach that. Yeah. The uh, the change exchange thing made me think of, uh, and I know we dropped that bonus episode over the Christmas break about our some of our first jobs. If you listen to that, you'll remember one of my first jobs was KFC, right? Working fried chicken. And uh, I remember when... Uh, one day we're working the register and I'm cooking in the back and I hear all this commotion and these people trying to figure out the change thing. What had happened was there was this, like for a short period of time, maybe, I don't know if people still do this, but people were going in and they were doing like a change exchange. They'd buy a meal, 
and then they would give like weird change. And then they would, in the middle of the transaction, say, hey, actually, no, here's, here's a 20, so you give me back 15. And they would like help, help, quote unquote, the cashier do the change. And they'd jip cashiers out of like 30, 40, 50 bucks in the midst of this mm-hmm. exchange of money. And I remember we had to like watch training videos on how to recognize these guys so we wouldn't get ripped off out of, out of money because people were so bad at trying to figure out their own change. And they would, yeah, talk and confuse you and distract you. Oh, it was so, yeah. So, again, to your point, that'd be a valuable class. You'd save a lot of, a lot of corporations a few nickels and dimes here and there on getting gypped out of their, their money in their cash register. So, I, uh, mine is much less, much less helpful, I think. If I were to teach a class on anything, I think it would be um, like some of the useless things I've picked up over the last few years for, for a season, a few years in a row, every year I would pick up like a, a useless, um, talent, like something that doesn't actually, it's not productive. It doesn't add anything to society, but it would be something that's like fun to do. So over the course of a year, I learned how to juggle. Right. So like, I'm a pretty, pretty dang good juggler. Wait, what? What? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm like a quite a good juggler. <laughs> why, why is it we're just now hearing this? I don't know. Come I was on. juggling. They, the only reason I thought of this is because I was juggling back here. It's like a nervous tick for me. So if I'm pacing and I have nothing else to do, it'll keep my mind off whatever I'm thinking about. So I started juggling back. We're gonna here. work that into a sermon. I don't Somehow. know what. I don't I, know how. I, yeah. I don't know juggle it up. And David was like, "Oh, you can juggle." And I was like, "Yeah, sometimes." So I'm just juggling back here, walking back and forth, yo-yoing like yo-yo tricks. I can do a bunch of yo-yo yo-yo tricks. That was like a year's worth of things. So I would probably take all, like, compile those things into multiple classes and just teach those things. I was assuming it was going to be, you know, tying knots so you don't die when you're climbing. Yeah, there's people that are better at that than me, though. Like, I know just enough to keep myself safe. Yeah. I'd I'd feel liable if I were to start Mm. teaching a bunch of other people that sort of thing. Do you know how to tie, like, a bunch of crazy knots, you know, like you use on boats? Here's just the knots for rock climbing. Yeah, here's the thing. You need to know, I mean, unless you're getting, like, wildly advanced and guiding and helping other a bunch of other people climb at the same time and that sort of thing, you need to know, like, three knots. And as long as you don't mess those three knots up, you're pretty much just going to be safe the whole time. Um, so I know those three or four really well. I know a couple of rope tricks to like three to one hauls, like helping people get up the thing and making it easier, that sort of thing, like weight distribution stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, the the real knot tires are the nautical guys. It's yeah. the sailboat guys. You've got to know all sorts of stuff for that sort of thing. So that's uh, that's a whole whole different thing. Cool, that was fun. I thought, uh, yeah, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting both of your YouTube courses to become available. <laughs> I'm the my sons, I'm gonna next time they talk about yo yo, and I'm sending them to Brendan for yeah. sure. They I don't love have one. It. I don't have one anymore. I think Nate does up in his office though, so I might need to snag his from from him. See yo yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a camp thing for a year, so we both worked at this camp, and huh. it was one of the things. So, all right, well, hey, we uh, this this past Sunday. We're in Romans chapter eight. Uh, we uh, we tackled verses eighteen. We went back a little bit into to seventeen, but uh, really spent the majority of our time in verses eighteen through twenty five. Uh, and before we dig in, Josh, I'd love to just hear, hey, as you were listening to the message out in PV, what what were some of the things that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, definitely. So got to hang out with our PV crew. Always love getting to go out there and be a part of, of that campus. Uh, my youngest or third youngest I don't, I don't know what he is second to youngest i don't know my five-year-old i don't know how to say that now so when you have four kids I just don't know how to do it um he loves going out there and setting up and he loves seeing those 
older guys, and they are so great with him. So shout out to all you guys. Um, like I told him we're going to PV, and like he went to bed excited talking about it. And then I was I went in his room to wake him up, and he was like, I was like, all right, side, come on, get up, right up, light on, clothes on, ready to go. Like normally getting him up for school, it's like, oh. But he loves going out there and being a part of serving. And, yeah. man, we've done Church in a Box for 10 years now, just setting up church plans. So it's so cool to see him that. So that's always a really good, cool piece to see his investment into our 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 church, even at a young age, getting to be a part of setting that up. Um, obviously, I think the, the piece of it that stood out that I heard a lot of people just sharing about out in the lobby um, afterwards was the rope analogy. Um, and so everyone just, it stuck with so well, which was the point of mm-hmm. why we do something like that. If you're going to do a visual, it's got to be, it's got to be really well done. And it was, and it used it for so long of the message that people, I think it's going to stick with them. There was, there was the story of this one guy, he's, he, he, uh, he had fallen and done something to his wrist, pretty bad break. And um, he had just gotten the cast off and his wife was like, Hey, how's your, you know, how's your arm doing? He was like, oh, it's good. He goes, I just, you know, he's like, I, he was like, I just listened to a whole message on suffering and perspective. He goes, I'm good. You know, I was like, she was testing you. She was setting you up, man. Did he really listen? Did he really? So it was just a really cool practical. He was like, man, in the grand scheme of things, I'm good. So that was a really cool piece of it. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of conversation just around uh, the rope analogy and I think helping people put that in perspective, because as we chatted about, everyone is experiencing some kind of suffering. Yeah. You know, that was the thing that stood out to me. Um, I think throughout the course of the last 23 weeks or however long we've been in Romans um, for us, there's some texts, some chunks of the text that we cover. And um, I I think especially about some of the, um, um, uh, being in the law of Christ conversations that we've had over the last four or five weeks, whatever it's been. And it it's, can seem, sl- for those of us who have been going to church for a while, it can seem a little ethereal, a little more, um, right? We're talking in theory rather than practicality. And I know for us, we always try to drive to the practical and to the tangible, but suffering is something everyone experiences. So for me, it's a level, it feels like a level set, like, no matter if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've been one for 35 years or 25 minutes, you've dealt with suffering and you're going to continue to deal with suffering. So that was the thing for me. Um, this felt like a, um, a nice shift, a uh, slight shift in um, just the way that this, this topic, the topic of this text applies to, to kind of everyone. Jason, any thoughts that, that you had coming out of Sunday? No, I would disagree with you. I think the, the universality of suffering. I mean, there is no one who is exempt. Um, And so when you think about that, again, it doesn't matter if you're in Christ or out of Christ, you're going to suffer. And so the question isn't, do I, am I going to suffer? Am I not going to suffer? The question is, am I going to suffer with hope of Jesus or suffer without the hope of Jesus? You're going to suffer either way. And so, um, yeah, I think that's the, that's the part. Again, everybody has their story and everybody's walking through something or you're about to walk through something. So this does become very, very, very practical for people. Which was helpful when you made that point. You know, some of us feel like every time something good may happen, 
bad is right there crouching at the door. And we feel like God actually isn't for us. Mm. There's so many people, you know, I know you talk to probably who feel that way as you, as they're walking through things. And it seems like they just keep getting the bad. Right. And they're like, man, but I'm trying to follow Jesus. And you're like, no, no, I know, you know, but so it's not, it's not personal. You know, God's not sitting up there going, well, give it to him again. Here we go. Um, And so I think it did help people to go, oh, all creation is groaning. Mm -hmm. I'm not unique in in my suffering. I'm unique in my experience and my story. Mm -hmm. But everyone in that audience has gone through something. Some, yes, to degrees that are way greater than others. But we all share in those pain points, all the sharing that grief. You know, we all have that. So, And again, Paul is the perfect example to have this conversation with us. I mean, he... He gets to lead out, right? Because it really was for him. It was like every day there's something new. Oh, another riot. Look at there. Oh, here I go, flying out the window, trying to run for my life, and another shipwreck, and another prison sentence, and on and on and on and on it goes. So his was like every day. And if anybody would was able to just look at their life and think, holy snikes, like I'm doing everything I can to obey obey God and share the good news of Jesus, there ought to be some kind of exemption for not suffering. If God was going to protect anybody, it ought to be Paul, but his suffering list goes a lot farther and longer than mine. So yeah. um, it does help put it into perspective that everybody's going to suffer. Yeah. Paul really is the the case study for that. I, you know, my communion meditation on the Presque campus this past week was all about Paul's suffering. Mm-hmm. And I listed out, you know, what Paul gives us in second Corinthians 11. And then you shared even more and our, our lists didn't even really intertwine that much. Yeah. So it just shows, goes to show how much he had, he experienced uh, during his time on earth. Yeah. So I think if anyone's qualified to talk about suffering, yeah, certainly it's Paul. Um, let's do this. I've got one, we've got one, uh, question from Sunday, um, that's kind of unrelated to suffering. It's, it's a good question. I want to make sure we get to it. So let's start there and then let's dig a little bit deeper into, um, some of what we talked about specific to suffering this past Sunday. Uh, this question came in from Maggie Fisher. Maggie, thanks so much for, for your question. And here's what it says. In your message, you said at Christ's first coming, he was made to be like us. And at his second coming, we will be made to be like him. Do you think Adam Adam and Eve were different in their human form pre-sin? Or do you think the resurrection uh, changes things and we will have different qualities like Christ had when he had just appeared in the room? What she's referencing there is the John 20 appearing, Jesus appearing in the upper room post-resurrection, post-ascension or pre-ascension, showing up in the upper room around the disciples, like just magically appearing there. Like a ghost. Yeah. So I think what she's asking is, 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 are we going to be like that? What, what's that look like? What was Adam and Eve like pre-sin? And and what are your thoughts on that, Jason? I have one thought before Jason gets into real serious talk because Jason has brought this up and it always makes me laugh. Now I think about it. Adam and Eve probably didn't have belly buttons. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only thing I can add into that comment is, so now everyone else in our church, you get to think about this beautiful thought as well, that there's a good chance neither one of them had a belly button. You remember that show, Kyle XY? Uh-huh. You remember that? It was this guy that was, uh, I don't remember the premise of the show, but he didn't have a belly button. See, it came out in the early 2000s. It was weird. Though. Boom. No belly button. That's what I got to add. <laughs> nice. I do like to throw that out every once in a while. When people are debating 
random church things, I'll just ask them, or Bible things, I'll say, hey, do you think Adam and Eve had belly buttons? And you'll see this really inquisitive look. And this is what happened with Josh. So. We talk about like first tier issues and second tier issues. Where do you think that one falls <laughs> on the theological spectrum? I think it's ah, it's close. It's like it's <laughs> it maybe second. It's probably second bucket. Okay, um, Maggie, thank you. This is a great question, and it's so great. I had never thought about the answer to this. So, uh, I guess let me say two things. Um, the first I would say is we're not told much about Adam and Eve, what their bodies were like before sin. So anything that I say will be just subjective. Like we, it's opinion only. So take it as such. Um, because there's not anything given, I I tend to, as I was thinking about it since I read your question yesterday, I I don't think there was probably much of a difference between Adam and Eve's body and what we know as the human body after sin, except that the only thing that Scripture says changed was their eyes were opened. They were able to discern right and from wrong, and shame entered in. That part was the part that changed, but there wasn't, it doesn't seem as if there was any kind of physical dynamic that changed except that death entered in. And so the death process started uh, in that uh, in that moment when sin came. So I don't know that there's a big physical difference, but again, uh, it's all conjecture. And uh, about what our bodies are going to look like moving forward, again, we, we get glimpses in Scripture, but we don't get the totality. And so, again, this is a little bit of, of just guesswork. But I do think, <clears throat> excuse me, I do think there is going to be a difference in our body. Like what we're told, uh, Paul talks about this, I think, in 1 Thessalonians, and we find it in a little bit in 1 uh, Corinthians 15. Like our resurrected body is going to be different than our physical body. And here's, we know this to be true because Jesus' body was different after his resurrection. Like he was able you mentioned the one that he kind of shows up in this room, but that's not the only instance. We do recognize that, uh, like after the road to Emmaus, uh, he walked with two people and they didn't quite know who he was. Like they, he's speaking to them and it says their hearts are burning. Like they knew there was something about this guy, but they couldn't place it until they get to Emmaus and he breaks bread. And when he breaks the bread, their eyes are open and they say, oh, they realize he was Jesus. Same thing happened with Mary in the garden. She thought Jesus was just a gardener until Jesus spoke her name. And then all of a sudden the light comes on. So there was something different about Jesus' physical body um, after the resurrection. So I do believe that will be the case. There is something, scripture calls it a glorified body. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody after church and and he shared, you know, the the when that that idea of a glorified body that we're actually going to be in the presence of God. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he was in the very presence of God and he came down from the mountain? The scripture says his face was a glow, like he somehow had had took on in his physical body the very glory of God so much so that the 
Israelites said, you got to cover up. We can't, we can't deal with that. And his face was glowing and he had to put a veil over himself. Eventually that wore off because he wasn't in the presence of God anymore. I wonder if something like that won't happen. Like there'll be this actual part of the glory of God in our physical bodies um, because we are in his presence as uh, Revelation tells us we're going to. So I to answer your question, I don't know about Adam and Eve's pre-sin body. I would tend to think it's much more like what we are now. However, I think Scripture is pretty clear that when Jesus comes back, we are going to be transformed, and we are going to have a body like his resurrected, glorified body. So I think it will have more skills, abilities, and I think there will be a... Um, a glory to it that we don't experience in our current bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. It's good. It's good. I always like, um, so NT Wright talks about, uh, this, he has something he says, he calls it a signpost. Um, when he speaks of the resurrection, especially like when we think of what is ours going to be like. And so, you know, Jesus is the signpost, uh, pointing the way, but I'm not really sure what the what the actual finish line looks like, but but I get a decent idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that analogy. It just helps me because it, I can go, like you said, oh, there are some things that happen with Jesus from the physicality, but also just the appearing to the he does eat. He does have some physical because they touch him, right? So there's there is these things, and so it is this signpost that goes, hey. I, I get an idea, but I'm not 100% sure, mm-hmm. right? And that's the the beauty of where the faith is. That's the beauty of like, okay, I, God has kind of pointed the direction, but I, I won't really know. You actually said a line like that yesterday, which was really good. You were talking about um, if we knew it all, then it wouldn't be faith anymore, right? Um, we, we would not be, we would be walking by sight. Mm-hmm. And I love that. He said, I love how you said that yesterday. Like in heaven, I don't need faith because I, I, I will see. Right. And so now I'm just, I'm living by faith going, I can kind of see what Jesus did and I can. So for me, it's like, oh, he was still the, cause I think everybody's gone the opposite way when we talk about our resurrected bodies, that they're going to be the ones just floating around. Right. And I'm like, no man, he was physical. Like he was touching things. People were touching him. He was eating. They looked out and saw him on the shore. He sat down with them by the fire. So yes, there were some things that I don't know how to make sense of it. That he does just appear in a locked door. But there are also things that I'm like, no, he was still very physical and his body still mattered. Oh, for sure. And like she, you know, Mary recognized him. Mm-hmm. At first, she thought he was a gardener, which mm-hmm. is a whole another thing when you start thinking through what Adam and Eve were and that she would think he was a gardener. Anyways, but like she saw him as a person and mm-hmm. was like, wait a minute. Oh, you're Jesus. Hold up. You know, <laughs> so like there's some really cool parts of that. So for me, it is the, it's the signpost. I'm like, man, I'm mm-hmm. really excited. I'm not 100% sure what it looks like, but, man, I can't wait till we get there. So let me just give a, a couple of verses here just to help kind of prime the pump if you're really thinking about this. So, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us a lot of the details here. So let me just read a couple of verses if you want to dig into this part of it. Uh, starting in verse 44, it says, If there is a natural body... There is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, i.e. Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, 
And after that, the spiritual. And here's where it gets interesting. The first man, meaning Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, meaning Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, meaning Adam, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. That is all of us right now. And and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven, which means there's going to be a shift. Like those of us who are earth, are of earth, one day will be of heaven. Look at verse 49. It says, and just as we have been born in the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So we were born like Adam, but we're going to be made like Jesus. So there is a, again, we can dream and scheme and try to imagine what that's looking like, but there is a very distinct differentiation that Paul is trying to help us to understand that we're not going to be like we were born. It's going to be something else. We're not going to be like Adam any longer. We're going to be like Jesus himself. So there will be a shift in our very physical body. Again, he uses some great language in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the body being sown like a seed, and that has to die in the, the, the flower or the crop that grows up out of the seed looks nothing like the seed, um, but it produces something else. And so, again, you can go read 1 Corinthians 15 and dream about the resurrected body if you want. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, let's move on to um, the, the topic of Sunday's message, um, specifically right, driving us to this idea of suffering. And how do we, how do, we do that? We talked, um, I'm trying to remember in what episode, we mentioned it last week, maybe episode 15, a lot about suffering and the various types and purposes of suffering, right? We talked about a lot about just innate suffering, which is right when, when we talk about creation groaning, it is these, this groan of the suffering that's experienced from all organisms as a result of the, the fall of man and, and our creation, right? Um, but then we've got the flip side of like the, some of the suffering that is produced by my sin. When I do something that that is counter to the law of Christ, uh, sometimes there are negative results in my life as a result of that. Like there's things that happen to me as a result of the way that I sinned against people or, or whatever it looks like. Um, so we talked a lot in that episode about the different types of suffering. I don't know that it's super helpful to go over that, but just wanted to point you to episode 15 if you do have any um, thoughts or questions about you know, how to, how to wrestle with the various forms. I think we maybe identified three or four um, purposes of suffering that we'd experienced. So um, just wanted to, to make sure we pointed you in that direction before we dig in here. But really, Jason, what you were doing over the course of the message was, was trying to drive to application. We use this text of the Galatians 2 um, that helped us better understand what it looks like to endure suffering within the church here during our time in the in-between from the already of Jesus came and and died and rose again to he's not yet returned and fulfilled the law, the law of Christ. In the in-between, what does it look like to deal with this suffering that we experienced? And again, Galatians uh, 2.6 just simply says... 6.2. Oh, sorry about that. Galatians 6.2. Uh, bear one another's burdens, uh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you drove us to doing life in community and trying to pick up each other's burdens, uh, bear the yoke of suffering uh, for each other. I guess my question is, uh, let's elaborate a little bit on, on that. 
And then we've got this interesting example of Job, right? When we think of biblical suffering, I think oftentimes we can go straight to Job and think of his story. And how did his friends do that? And then how did his friends not do that? So let's talk a little bit about Job in a minute, but just kick us off uh, with this idea. So yeah, the again, I think it's really, really important just to remember that everything and everyone is suffering. Everything and everyone. Like there's, there is no... Uh, exceptions. The curse of sin affects everything and everyone. So we're going to suffer. Everybody's going to suffer. So how do we suffer in a way that that is like Christ? Because that's what we're called to, right? That we have to, indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we're going to share in his sufferings um, by keeping our faith, by continuing to be obedient, that we don't let our sufferings um, move us away from God, that we're not, we're, we're going to keep following and trusting and obeying no matter what. So um, in that way, then we get to inherit what he inherits. So all of us are going to suffer. And as Josh mentioned, there will be some that will suffer in, in more ways than other people, um, but we're all going to suffer in some way. And so how do we bear each other's burden, I think is the big crux of the question that you're asking. How do we do that? How do we help one another? And and that I think we can talk about for a little bit. Uh, and I, it, to your point, Job does help us to understand that. Sometimes bearing with one another's suffering is just being there for each other. Like there's nothing you can do um, except to show up. And so we all know people who are sick or hurting and there, there's nothing they did that caused it. I think of some of our our people in our church that we love who have who have cancer and some who have late stage cancer, and there wasn't anything that they've done that caused that. It just happened. It's part of the curse. There's messed up genes in our body and cursed DNA, and there's it's nothing that they did specifically. It's just just what happened and it's heartbreaking and what can we do in those moments except sit and pray and remind them of the promises of God but we're not going to take that away like we don't have that ability but just being there for them has such a huge impact um but then again to your point there is some suffering that we bring upon ourselves um i i am a terrible husband for years and years then all of a sudden my wife leaves I don't need somebody just to sit with me and to pat me on the back and to tell me, oh, it's going to be okay and God's going to use this. No, what I need somebody to do to help bear my burden is to actually call me out of my sin and lead me to a place of repentance and drive me toward action that reveals to my wife a dedication to my the covenant promises that I've made. So it's going to look a little different um, how we actually bear each other's burdens. Um, but I don't know of a of of a single verse that helps us to understand how to endure suffering better than that. That we just have to be there to bear one another's burdens. I think even in the garden, when Jesus was going into the garden, he knew what was going to happen. He didn't go alone. Uh, he brought all of the disciples, and then even then, he took three: Peter, James, and John, and they went out further. And he implores them, "Would you just?" pray with me. Like he was bearing literally the weight of sin of the world. And he invites people into that moment, says, would you pray with me? 
and he invited them to pray. And then he went and prayed. And then he comes back and says, come on, guys, can you not just pray with me? I need you in this moment. And then he goes and prays some more and comes back and he continues to invite them into this moment. He needed them to show up for him. And so I think if Jesus needed that in in his greatest hour of need, I think we're all going to need it too. So in the NIV 84, the word is carry, yeah, which I think is really helpful. Um, it's something that's physically unable to be carried by yourself. Like you have to pick it up with someone, right? Bear, like I, I think we get it, but like the carrying the the weight, I always think of uh, of funerals, um, like carrying the weight of death, like somebody in a coffin. Like I, it takes six people. You can't do it by yourself. Um, you know, that's kind of where my mind goes to that. I, I need help with people to, to, as a pallbearer, right. To carry that, but also then the family, like you need to carry that weight with that family. And so there's just something to that analogy that I just, that I love. And that's the word that they use, um, in the NIV. So it, it, again, it, it allows me to think through, oh, I have to reach down and pick this up and walk with them. Like I got to like if I'm going to carry a piece of furniture with somebody, I can't walk out in front of them and leave them because it doesn't work that way. Like I got to walk beside them, and sometimes that means it's really slow. Uh, some of the the things of suffering, it literally stops people in their tracks, and I just got to stand and wait. Other times we're just taking little bitty steps and we're going, and then sometimes we're carrying stuff and we're we're kind of moving through. Right? They've mm-hmm. they've come to this place and they're able to. Ex- except is maybe the wrong word, but able to deal with it. And we've got a good pace going. But what happens for me is, is I'm at the the mercy of the speed of the person who has the weight. And so for me, it, it forces me to go, hey, I'd like to run at this pace, but maybe they're not able to, and I need to slow myself down. Because the, a believer, to fulfill the law of Christ, I need to help carry that for them. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a good reminder for me that that wording um because sometimes i look at it and go well come on come on we got this let's go and they're like i can't i can't go that fast and i'm like oh all right i got slow i the person who is okay needs to slow down because it's not a, i'm not i'm asking them to carry my burden they're asking me to carry theirs and i just i typically tend to forget that and i think of paul in philippians when he talks about i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection and then i want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings so that I can obtain the resurrection from the dead. So I love that we talked about like this beautiful picture of the resurrection and we're going to have that kind of life. And again, here in another text, Paul says, I get that by, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Just like, Hey, I want the, I want the glory. Yeah. I want to know the power of the, and then he says, but you also need to share in the sufferings. Mm -hmm. And we like to read right past that verse. Mm -hmm. And just skip ahead and go, oh, no, no, I just want the resurrection of the dead piece. And he's like, no, to get that, you have to experience this, literally, death. You're going to die. Like, that's the suffering. you got to die to yourself every single day. And so what a, what a beautiful picture. And again, like you said, Paul, of all people, is able to speak into this. Yeah, I love that. I do, um, uh, I do think the story of Job. Um, helps us understand a little bit about what this looks like, um, maybe in a couple of different ways, like how, how to do this well and how to do this not so well, right? Josh, you made a joke earlier about like, man, uh, Job's friends were great for seven days. Like the first seven days, they they were with him, they sat with him. But then what 
happened. Like the silence became over. And you've been there. We've all been there as believers. We're sitting in that moment with people and it's like, I have to say something. And you're like, no, don't say anything. And you're like, no, 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 say, say this. And that's what I feel like Job's friends literally seven days are quiet. They're just mourning and fasting with him. Mm -hmm. And then after the seven days, they're like, all right, enough's enough, man. Get it together. What have you done that's caused this? Yeah. That's their question. Like, surely, Job, you've caused this. God would not do this if it actually wasn't your fault. Yeah. That's what they ask him. Mm -hmm. And so it's 20 chapters of them basically going back and forth like, well, where have you sinned? You sure it wasn't here? And Job's response is like, man, I, I've tried to live the way I'm supposed to. I've obeyed every way I was supposed to. Yet, and they cannot justify that in yeah. their mind. They can't make that make sense. But if we know the front end of the story. What does God call Job? He says, hey, there's no one more blameless than Job. He, he is doing all of the things I'm asking him to do. And Satan goes, yeah. I bet I could get him to walk away. Essentially, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing. And so his friends, because that's our understanding sometimes is, well, well, it's Brendan's fault. Surely he's caused it. And Brendan's going, I don't know, man. I feel like this time it actually wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And our desire to make suffering make sense. I think that's the, for me, that's a piece of the story of Job is they're trying to make it make sense in a very human understanding and we're limited. Which is fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, it is, it is a fair it does make a lot more sense when I can look at my life and say, I sinned in this way and here's the outcome and it hurts, right? That makes a lot more sense. And then I know, okay, now I need to repent and go do the thing. Um, it does make, it does make a lot more sense. I think that, um, two, it's a valid question. And I just, I love, I love the Galatians text because it's bear one another burdens, uh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So in that, I think what we're, what I hear is, if this suffering is a byproduct of your sin, fulfilling the law of Christ is not ignoring your sin. It's, it's pursuing holy action against your sin. It's confession and repentance and, and whatever, whether it looks like uh, Matthew 18 or just repenting, like whatever it looks like, I think we've been given tools to process through that sin. So I think that's always got to be like a, hey, we have to run the thing, run the suffering through the filter of where is this coming and from and why is this happening? Can I actually diagnose the thing? Or is it just inherently, uh, you know, the suffering of the world that causes creation to groan? So I think, man, it is fair and it's a hard spot to be in walking with someone and mourning with someone and experiencing suffering alongside someone trying to carry their burden. Um, it's, you gotta have, you gotta wrestle with that, I think. Yeah. So, And then God's answer to Job is, and I don't think it's a, like, I think some people may read it and think it's an angry God. I don't think that at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's an honest, Hey Job, where were you when I did all of these things? When I created the world? Where were you when I gave this life and breathed life into this? Where were you when I built the mountains and the Grand Canyon? And Job's response is, I can't even fathom mm -hmm. how incredible you are, God. And I think our sometimes desire to want to make sense of suffering forces us to ask questions that we just don't know the answers to. And then again, as friends, we try to say those things, the Christian cliches, and I get it that they feel right. But like Jason said in the message, it doesn't help. Like it just doesn't help us mm -hmm. actually. And so Job's response was, God is so incredible. And 
I may not know why this is taking place. I, I just may not know. I, I, and to be okay with that. But again, we want to, as, as people, to make sense of it this side of heaven. And I don't know for some of it if we will. And yeah. that's a hard, like you said, it's a really hard place for people who want to know all the answers to be at. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all know people that have walked away from the faith because they couldn't answer this question. They couldn't get to the bottom of why suffering exists and why a, a good God could, cause, could, could allow this stuff to happen, right? Yeah. I, I've got a half dozen, probably, yeah. that I've done ministry with, have been in their lives, and they've now since walked away because they couldn't figure that out. So, And this was the whole point. Yeah. Right, right, right Jason? Right. Your whole point was, I don't want you to throw away your faith. Right. So what, look at the rope. Yeah. What what part of this little red piece is going to be so bad that you would cash in all of the white? You know. So that's one hundred percent where we're at. There is a tension, like that that we were uh, that I heard a little bit of the um, the end of in the with some of our team members who were here for three services and they're listening to this message over and over and over again. And so there's a little bit of tension when we get to this, carry one another, carry one another's burden piece. It's like, okay, but how much of their burden can I carry? Because we do recognize that there are some who just want to unload all of their burdens on you. Like they, they just want you to fix the thing. And so there's this tension. It's like, like I can't be the Messiah for somebody else. And I can't. And so, uh, so I heard, I heard a little bit of this conversation happening as I'm walking into the green room after one of my messages. And, and I, I said, Hey, you're right. You can't carry it all. In fact, look at Galatians chapter six, verse five. Like we, it's right here in our text. So I did, again, I don't get to preach all of it or I'd be up there for an hour. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then he goes in and says, if anyone thinks, verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to others. So I don't have to look at you to get validation for myself. And then look at verse 5. For each one should carry their own load. And it's like, well, which one is it? Do we carry each other's burden or does everybody carry their own? It's like, yes. Like there is, there is this thing that that we've all had people in our life that just want to unload their burdens and have everybody else in their life carry them. And they want to take no responsibility for their own load. And that's, that's not what God intends when he says, carry one another's burdens. Like we all have to do the work and, and fight and, and try to do what we can to carry our burden. And we got to help each other. Like it's both and, um, but carry one another's burden does not give any of us a pass to unload our burdens onto those around us without trying to do the work, uh, of sanctification of whatever it is that God's trying to do in us through that moment. That is good, and I think uh, definitely is a, a good place for us to leave off for today. Any final notes? I take those as a no. Thanks, no. guys. Thanks. We'll chat again real soon. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 24 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so glad that you joined us for this episode today. 
as always, if you have any questions or comments about the message from Sunday, we hope you join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you could submit your questions to be answered right here on the podcast. We hope this conversation was helpful in your walk through the study of Romans alongside of us, and we can't wait to see you again next time.